on baptism Sundays, the baptism testimonies are, really take center stage. And so this is simply an addendum. This is an extension playing off the central part of our worship time together, which is to celebrate um, Lucas and Madeline and Abby's decision. And it works out really well because last week we started a series called Identity and Mission, where I wanted to move over the next four or five weeks through clarifying our identity as a church, clarifying our mission as a church, inviting you into that process through individual conversations, surveys, preaching through God's word. We talked about the fact that at different stages of our life, and certainly the teenage years, this, this comes right to the forefront. Two of the most um, challenging questions to answer are who are you and what are you doing here? And it's always encouraging to me to hear um, teenagers who uh, have decided to be baptized because you're moving into and through one of the most turbulent times in your life, but at the same time, you are now in Christ and being held in him and as you pursue him, you will be able to navigate those questions with spiritual resources that are just not available to those who do not know Christ, who are not pursuing Christ. I became a Christian when I was 14 years old. And so um, I can t totally um, um, connect with what Madeline said in terms of not having all the answers. And there's a lot I needed to learn about so many things, even just basic wisdom. But it was awesome to move through my teenage years discovering the truths of God learning what it means to follow Jesus, making mistakes, learning from them, seeing God challenge me and bless me and bring people around me. It was just absolutely awesome. So that question, who are you and what are you doing here, is tremendously important. And we talked about the story of God. If you think about the Bible overall, it's a story of God's good creation that we disrupted and poisoned, that God wants to rescue and redeem us um, from the consequences of that sin and then set up a new heavens and a new earth. And when you understand that story, you recognize that God has a mission to you, that every individual God is seeking to bring you, to change the story that you're a part of. Instead of your story being defined by confusion, alienation, sin, death, um, um, disconnection from God, disconnection from your own sense of identity and purpose, God is rescuing you into a new kind of life where he is revealing his wisdom and his truth and his goodness, that he's covering over your sin, that he's implanting supernatural wisdom in you for a new kind of life. So God has a mission to you and then God has a mission through you. Just accepting Jesus, acknowledging him as Lord, baptism, that's not the finish line, that's the starting line. Where for the rest of our life, we're saying, oh, what is God's mission through me? How has God made me? What are the general ways that I'm called to serve Jesus, but what are the particular ways that I as Lucas or I as Madeline or I as Abby am called to love God and honor my neighbor? And that's a really, really exciting journey to be a part of. And baptism is the recognition that God has a mission to you. And when you're being baptized, what you're saying is you're saying yes to God. You're saying, yes, I realize I need you, God, in my life and I want you in my life. And when we're submerging um, the students later on, that is a symbolic cue to that sense of, I, I realize I need to die to a way of life that doesn't have Jesus as my Lord. And so I'm going under the water to be buried, metaphorically, and then I'm coming up to realize, okay, now God has a mission through me. Now God has put his spirit in me. He's revealing his truth. He's going to guide me 
not just in a holding pattern so that I can just kind of do whatever and then I'll die and go to heaven, but so God begins to challenge and shape me so that I can be a conduit of his grace and love and mission here and now. And what's really cool about understanding that as a teenager is the words of Paul writing to a young leader in the church in 1 Timothy 4.12, where he says, God's mission through you, Madeline, through you, Lucas, through you, Abby, you don't need to wait until you're 25 or 35 or you reach a certain level of super Bible knowledge or whatever in your own mind you might think, well, this would be the kind of person that God could really use starting now. So I just have to be in a holding pattern and waiting for God to use me. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And that includes yourself. Don't allow yourself to look down on yourself that, well, I'm just, I'm just a teenager and I, I only have these meager gifts and talents and I, I still have a lot of questions about life and faith and I'm not sure and so I'll just kind of self-select out and move to the sideline. God, through Paul, is commanding Timothy, don't do that. That's a command. Don't let anyone else look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And I love that challenge because it goes right to the heart of this tremendous um, inversion of what you would think, right? Wouldn't you think that people who are going to be the role models for the community of faith are going to be the Christians who are long in the tooth and seasoned that have been following Jesus for decades? Like Those are going to be the spiritual champions. And Paul says, uh, maybe in some cases, but don't disqualify yourself simply because you're young. God's desire is that you would be an example to everybody else, that other people would look at your pursuit of Jesus, not because you're perfect, not because you have it all together, but there's a sincerity there and there's a desire there such that other people, people like me who've been following Jesus for decades, might look at you and might interact with you and say, wow, I got a lot to learn from Lucas. I got a lot to learn from Madeline. I think that's amazing that God doesn't wait for us to achieve a certain level before he begins working in and through us. And last week I talked about the fact that if you say yes to God as an individual, then that, I think, commits you to at least four priorities. It commits you to being biblical, devotional, connectional, and missional. If you say yes to Jesus, what you are saying is, I recognize that God has a mission to me. I need to receive Jesus. God has a mission through me. So what now? Now that I'm baptized, now that I've said yes, where do I go from here? Just taking those themes of saying, I'm going to grow in my understanding of the Bible and how to apply it faithfully. I'm going to grow in my devotional connection to Jesus. I'm not just learning the Bible to pass some kind of Bible quiz. I'm learning about Scripture so that I can know the heart of God better, so that I can connect with God and consistently live out of a sense of friendship with God. And I want to be a Christian who's supporting other Christians around me. My Christian life isn't just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and the other people that God has pulled into my life, family, friends, this church. And I'm looking for ways to bless people who are younger than me, bless and learn from people who are older than me. I'm learning to surround myself with other Christians who are willing to challenge me and inspire me to grow. And so as we say yes to Jesus, whether we're new to the faith, whether we're firmly established, it means kind of a coming back to these key themes of committing ourselves to being biblical and devotional and connectional and missional. 
And probably at each stage of life, there's uh, times where one of those values are sort of foregrounded and others are backgrounded. But the challenge for us as a disciple of Jesus is learning how to um, recognize that we want to be growing in all of these areas, that our faith compels us to not be a Christian who says, well, I want to grow in my understanding of the Bible, but I'm not sort of interested at all in connecting with other Christians or being actively engaged in saying yes to God's mission in the world. Like maybe, when, maybe a few decades down the line. We need to be growing in these areas all the time. We need to be allowing the Spirit to challenge us. And when you press into those priorities, one of the cool things that happens is you gain greater awareness of that question, who am I and what am I doing here? As I search God's word, as I am learning spiritual disciplines like prayer and worship and fasting that draw me closer to God, as I connect and learn from other Christians, as I take risks to love other people in the way that I feel God calling me to in the world, as I take my view off of scrambling to answer that question, who am I, what am I doing here, and I just start to follow Jesus in these ways, you sort of grow and get greater clarity around, oh yeah, this is kind of, I'm growing in my self-confidence, my God-confidence of who God has made me. And so as we grow in these areas, we actually get greater and more precise clarity around who we are and how God has wired us and called us to live out his priorities in the world. Super, super exciting. That was my experience as a teenager growing in faith, and it's been my experience as a Christian just growing, generally speaking. And so I want to say to uh, Lucas and Madeline and Abby, I really want to encourage you to understand that, I want to encourage you to reject the lie that your identity and your mission, who you are and what you're doing here, that that's something for you to, to decide right? And all, that's all around kind of the cultural zeitgeist. You define who you are. You define what's going to be important in your life. And the Bible actually say, says, although at times that may be well-intended, it leads to death because you're putting yourself at the center of trying to understand your identity and mission. And the Bible says that's a sinful distortion that will only lead you down frustrating paths. But if you learn to center yourself around Jesus by pressing into these priorities, even imperfectly, what happens is you begin to receive your identity. You begin to walk with the confidence that says, this is who God has made me. This is how God has shaped me. To the extent that we grow in these ways, you will strengthen your God-given sense of self and strengthen your sense of purpose. And you will need both to be very strong to move into a world that is increasingly hostile toward God and the things of God. When we talk about these things, biblical, devotional, connectional, and missional, I wanted to share a few, well, a challenge that comes through me to all of us as a evangelical covenant church. Because it's never been more confusing, or there's never been so many um, answers to the question, what does it mean to be a biblical Christian? What does that mean? Lots of people might say, well, I, I believe in the Bible, or I'm trying to live my life um, according to the Bible's truth. When I talk about, or when we as a covenant church talk about leaning into becoming and growing as a biblical Christian, what do we mean by that? Uh, the evangelical church has a really good resource paper from 2007 called the Evangelical Covenant Church and the Bible. 
It's not a cool name at all. It's like, and resource paper doesn't sound that great either. But if you can move past the lack of a clickbaity title and you go into it, what you discover is a tremendous amount of wisdom. And when I became a Christian, I had sort of no consistent church home. No one in my family was a Christian. So I was kind of just pulling from anywhere and everything. I had no ability to discern what was good spiritual food from rotten spiritual food. If it just had the tag Christian or mentioned Jesus, I just thought, oh, I guess this much must be good. And I just started reading the Bible and trying to make heads or tails of it. And I kind of floundered in the first few years of my Christian life. And now that I'm a covenant pastor, I really recognize the benefit to realizing that every generation, you don't have to reinvent the wheel of what it means to follow Jesus faithfully. There are lots of people who for thousands of years have learned certain practices and priorities and wisdom and ways of thinking about things, ways of approaching things that we can learn from. And you can kind of move from zero to 70 miles an hour. You don't have to start right at square one. In the Evangelical Covenant Church, what we affirm to be what it means uh, to be biblical is that the Holy Scriptures, the Old and New Testaments, is the Word of God. It's the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. We can learn a lot from other sources of wisdom in the world, but only the Scripture provides us with, with the perfect rule, the perfect standard from which to understand what it means to put our faith in Christ, what, what we're called to believe in as Christians, and not just to believe, but to believe in such a way that we live it out in the world. I like this paragraph from that resource paper. It says, in all we do and all we say and all we believe, we place ourselves under the authority of God's written word and we seek its direction. Scripture itself is our compass. Our great passion is constantly to renew our commitment to the authority of God as revealed in Scripture. And our desire is to keep alive and strong and always growing that flame that first burned in our forebears for the authority and power of God's word. So to be a biblical Christian is to have a high view of Scripture that we recognize that is the word of God. And that commits us to reading it in a particular way. And so I want to share this with you quickly and let it be a challenge to everybody in this room because it was a real challenge for me to think through the implications for my life and how I engage Scripture every day. So the first thing that the Covenant Church counsels is to say, to be a biblical Christian means to read the Bible faithfully, which means to read it prayerfully and humbly. We don't come to the Bible and stand in judgment over it. Prove yourself. I'm going to spin the wheel. Oh, this seems dumb. I don't get it. Whatever. It's to come and recognize that I don't stand in judgment over Scripture. I need to come with a humble posture of my heart that says, I stand underneath the authority of God's Word. And so I come prayerfully and hum humbly, right? The Bible, God actually says in, in His Word that He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So if we come to Scripture with an arrogance, with a, um, a desire not to wrestle through our doubts, but to scrutinize the Bible so that we can dismiss it or sideline it or um, demean it, that God will keep its truth from us because he opposes the proud. But if we come with a humility that says, I want to understand you better, God. I want to understand more faithfully how to serve you. Then the Holy Spirit reveals greater and greater dimensions of God's truth to us. So we read it faithfully. We read it communally, meaning we don't just 
read the Bible and then however it seems to strike us, that must be the right interpretation and we kind of don't uh, check that against um, other interpretations of Scripture from other wise people. And community doesn't mean that we're not allowed to read the Bible individually. I spend a lot of time in the Bible, just me and the Bible and God. But what it means is I learn from other Christians and not just other Christians that are around me, which I do that, but I learn to read in terms of the broader community of Christians who are very, very wise teachers and leaders and pastors and scholars whose lives reveal a dependence on God and have maybe spent way more time in the Gospel of Matthew, let's say, than I have. So if I'm just ripping through the Gospel of Matthew and I come across a verse that's hard to understand or I'm not sure, I don't just say, well, I guess I'll never know, or I, I don't just say, well, I guess that kind of... I guess, I guess it must mean this. Maybe. But I learn to listen to other people who are experts, and I grow in my biblical knowledge. So we can learn from other wise and thoughtful and grace-filled teachers. The third thing we do is we read the Bible rigorously. And I like what the covenant is getting at here, meaning sometimes we talk about the Bible as if reading it is just uh, doesn't really demand that much work. If we just pray and open up the Bible and read it, we should sort of maybe just get it. Maybe that's your experience some of the time. Maybe it's your experience much of the time. That was not my experience for the first decade of learning to read the Bible. I had to learn that, man, some of this is really challenging, intellectually challenging. Some books, less so than other, right? Proverbs, pretty accessible. But you get into other books and it's like, wow, these are, I'm not sure how to make heads or tails of this. And the covenant said, to be a biblical person is to understand that sometimes we can't just read the Bible. We have to be willing to do the heavy lifting of studying it and really digging into it and challenging our own presuppositions and our understandings. That the Bible's words are not given directly to us. They were given to another context, right? Paul, God's spirit through Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians church but those are the words of God for us. But there still might be some work involved in saying, hmm, if this was written at this time to these people, how do I learn from that? How do I properly apply that? And that might take some work. So being a biblical Christian means understanding that sometimes we're gonna have to dig into the Bible and really study it. And as we do, and I wanna encourage you in this, as you do, you will find that you are increasingly blown away by the depth and the scope and all the different dimensions of the Bible. Generally speaking, generally speaking, the people who struggle with whether or not the Bible is divinely inspired are the people who know the least about it, generally speaking. It is very difficult to begin to go into Scripture and the particularities and the thematics into understanding the languages and understanding the alignment of um, themes and topics, to look at the fundamental integrity that spans 66 books over millennia and to be able to say, wow, this holds together. This is amazing. There are so many treasures here that moving past a superficial understanding of the Bible will just fill you with a greater reverence for God's word and a greater thankfulness. The other thing that we're called to do as a covenant church is to read the Bible charitably, meaning we always want to guard against the idea that says, I've read this, I've researched it, 
here's how I understand this passage. If I come across another Christian who has a slightly different understanding or a different application, that um, I need to guard against a self-righteousness or a condemnatory spirit. We want to recognize that this side of heaven, we will not all perfectly understand all the ins and outs of Scripture. So we journey with people, and we're willing um, where there are legitimate, um, valid disagreements on the interpretation or application of certain texts, we recognize that our job isn't, isn't to try and fix necessarily every other person's theology or to fix their application of theology. What we do is we try and learn from them, go deeper into the scripture, scriptural witness ourselves, and be willing to live with a, an amount of tension with those who differ in their interpretation on issues that aren't central to our faith. So the precise mechanisms of what's going to happen before Jesus comes back, there might be some tension points there. But what isn't up for debate is the fact that Jesus is going to return. I like what the Covenant says, though, in their paper to guard against a view that would say, well, doesn't that just kind of leave the door open to say, well, at the end of the day, as long as you kind of like profess to love Jesus, you can just sort of say any interpretation is valid. Who are we to say? And kind of everything. The thin thin edge of the wedge is if you are too charitable, then anything goes. And the Covenant Church says two things are clear. We do not waver on the authority of Scripture, so any language or inference that the Scripture is not authoritative over our lives, that's a no-go. Nor do we accept explanations that do not do justice to the character of Scripture. Now again, that's intentionally um, interesting framing, but what the covenant is trying to say is to say, if someone is trying to advocate for a view or, or an interpretation of Scripture that doesn't align to the particular Scriptures or to the thematic whole or to what Christians for 2,000 years have all been able to agree on in terms of the character of God, um, we don't embrace that view as biblical. There's just too, too much of a gap between um, this particular interpretation and what has come before us in terms of tradition. So we do not waver on the fact that Scripture is our authority. We stand under its authority. We don't stand over it. And we do not accept explanations that do not do justice to the character of God and the character of um, God's Word. And lastly, we read it holistically, meaning we don't just read little bits and pieces of the scripture. We also try and understand the whole story and the themes and the context of the books that we're reading at any particular time, right? We don't just go into Deuteronomy and say, oh, it says right here in Deuteronomy this. We have to recognize, okay, Deuteronomy happens way back here in the story. And now that Jesus has come, and actually Jesus made a, uh, had some things to say about this very passage. So instead of just looking at it over here, I have to look at it in terms of what all of scripture says about it and make sure that Scripture is interpreting Scripture. So we want to understand how all the books of the Bible fit together. And the one-stop shop, it's not perfect, but it's very solid, that is very engaging in terms of video or podcasts or resources is the Bible Project. If you just Google the Bible Project, or I think it's thebibleproject.org, they have videos on every single individual book of the Bible. They have theme videos that are five to eight minutes long that trace a theme through Scripture. And it will really help situate you and get you thinking in terms of the overall themes of the Bible so that when you go to study the Bible individually or as a small group, 
that framing will help you to recognize, okay, this is where I am, and oh, this helps me to understand probably how to apply this more faithfully. So thebibleproject.com, check it out. So that's under the category of biblical. I'm just going to move through really quickly down to missional um, in terms of those priorities that we need to be living in as a church. So the first is to be a biblical Christian. That's what this compels us towards, I think demands of us individually and as a church. Devotional, again, just means that we're learning to pray and to worship and to uh, integrate practices into our lives that keep that fire burning in our zeal and devotion to Jesus. And connectional, I talked last week about Sunday and one, that we need to be consistently striving to come together on Sunday, not because Sunday was some kind of magic bullet, but because Christians have been doing it for 2,000 years as one of the disciplines of connecting with each other and with God. And so we come together, we fight for each other in this space, we love each other, and then I'm really challenging everyone this year to think through what's my plus one Sunday and another way that I can build into the community. Might be volunteering to teach Sunday school, could be leading a small group, could be participating, could be starting a three-to-one group, could be starting a Bible study. We have a visitation team that is a team of people who get a list of shut-ins in our church and in the broader community who need to be visited. That's a great ministry to be a part of. If you're interested in learning more about that, come talk to me or talk to Lynn Stevenson. Some of you just need to be proactive. I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking of this topic or this issue. And I'm like, why don't you just host a three-week study on it or four week? You don't have to start a small group for the whole year. Just start three weeks when I want to study this topic or I want to get together with a bunch of women or a bunch of guys and um, just kind of wrestle with how do I live this out as a Christian? But our faith demands that we're con- connecting with each other and we're looking for ways to be proactive in doing that and not just showing up on Sunday and waiting maybe for an opportunity to present itself, but to also say, where is God calling me to take that step of action? And growing in Jesus means a commitment to be missional. It means a commitment to grow in our faith and to not just grow at an individual level as we just kind of accumulate spiritual calories and build ourselves up. We build ourselves up so that we can be strong to care and serve for the people around us. That's really, really critical. Part of what it means to say yes to Jesus is to say, yes, I need you, Jesus, but also it means to say, yes, I give you permission to use me and to send me out into the world, near or far, to be a light for you. And as many of you know and followed, uh, Stacy and John DeVries were two people in our church that said yes to Jesus, not just in the big sense of receiving Jesus, but also in an ongoing sense of saying, where is God calling us? What's God putting in front of us? And so I invited um, Stacy. I think Stacy's going to share on behalf of both of them, but why don't you come up, Stacy, and just share kind of your report of what happened for you and John as you said yes to God um, for this project? And maybe just give people a bit of a, are you going to do a little bit of an intro to the project? Yes. In case they, okay, great, awesome. yes to God and thankful for Madeline and Lucas and Abby for saying yes to God. Where are you personally being invited by God to say yes? And let go of fear, let let go of hesitation, let go of self-centeredness. Let these testimonies spur you on 
to the adventure of faith that is waiting for anyone, regardless of age, experience, scriptural knowledge, um, wise or unwise, saying yes to God opens up beautiful, amazing things. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you use, um, that you use us as conduits of your mission. You use us as the church, as your hands and feet to offer encouragement and hope and healing. God, I pray that these testimonies would just snowball and more and more people as a result would say yes to you in things big and small. And then more and more people would share what you do uh, in their lives as they say yes. And that would just create this momentum of faithfulness as our hearts are challenged by hearing your faithfulness in the lives of others, as we take those steps of faith and we see your faithfulness in our lives, God, that it would just be a holy momentum that would build more and more and more. We want to be a church that is committed to your agenda and your kingdom's cause. And so give us the grace and the power that we need to continue to say yes to you. And we look forward to all the ways that you're going to just blow our socks off with your gracious response. We give you thanks and praise for all these things. In the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, call the worship team up. And we'll